If you ever wonder what I do in my office on Sunday mornings before I get up to preach, I'm in there getting all fired up, you know, to listen to some Eye of the Tiger. And man, I love Rocky. How many of you are fans of the Rocky movies? You know, uh, yeah, there you go. We got some Rocky fans out there. You know, Rocky is a great movie, and it's, it stood the test of time. The first Rocky came out in 1977. Can you believe that? Uh, won the Academy Award for Best Picture, actually. And, and uh, I think uh, probably at that time, most people thought that Stallone was acting when all along he was really just kind of playing himself. But, uh, but he won, uh, you know, Best Picture for Rocky. And they've gone on now to make uh, five Rocky sequels. They're making number six right now, actually. And, uh, you know, Rocky... Rocky is, is a popular character. It's, uh, I think his popularity is due to uh, much to do with his passion, his drive, his commitment, his focus to a goal, his pursuit of a goal. And, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons why Rocky has stood the test of time, why he's been so popular for uh, numerous generations now is because all of us, all of us long to live with a sense of purpose. You know, all of us, we were, we were made for that. We were made to live for and with a wholehearted devotion to something more than just ourselves, to something bigger than just ourselves, to live for a bigger goal. And we all long for that eye of the tiger type purpose for life that we see in Rocky. You know, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians the past few weeks and the Apostle Paul, the author of the book of Ephesians, I, I think the Apostle Paul would have really liked Rocky because like Rocky, Paul also had that eye of the tiger. But you know, unlike championship belts, which never fully satisfy, right? Paul had found something that truly did satisfy, something that was truly worth committing his life to, giving his life for, the one thing that truly satisfies. And what he found was the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. And what is the good news of the gospel? Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks that we've been looking through the book of Ephesians, we've seen the Apostle Paul unfold to us, unveil for us what the gospel entails. And the gospel, which Paul refers to as a mystery here in chapter 3 today, the mystery of the gospel really is, it's an incredible revelation that God has given us that number one, here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we saw that the gospel is about our reconciliation to our creator God. Our holy creator God looked down upon his creation that was trapped in our sin, separated from him, and God brought his son into this world to die on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and be reconciled with our creator. Paul also then tells us that the mystery of the gospel, the gospel, if you were with us last week, Pastor Rick talked about how the gospel is about reconciliation of people, how the gospel breaks down barriers, it breaks down racial barriers, it breaks down class distinctions, because when people come together under the cross, united in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become family, we become the body of Christ, we become members of the same household, citizens of the same heavenly kingdom. We also saw back in the very first week of our series in Ephesians how the gospel is about ultimately all things in the universe. All of creation will be brought together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And everything in creation will bow and give him glory as the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's what the gospel is, friends. And the reason it's called the good news is because that is good news. 
That's tremendously good news for all of us. Reconciliation with God, the breaking down of barriers in, human, in, in, in our human relationships, ultimately giving praise and glory to the King of Kings. And today, friends, as we move into Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, we come to an interesting passage. Because in our section of scripture today, what we're going to find is that Paul, in these first 13 verses of chapter 3, Paul basically revisits and restates all of these central gospel truths that he's already communicated to the Ephesians. He goes back and revisits all of these truths that he's already declared. As we're going to see, Paul begins our section today. In verse 1, as if he's about to break out in a prayer for the Ephesians. But then all of a sudden, Paul stops in the midst of his prayer and he goes back to restate these simple, basic gospel truths. He interrupts himself. Some scholars have referred to this section of Ephesians as a parenthesis in Paul's thought. In other words, Paul has been sharing his tru these truths about the gospel. He's about to break into prayer for the Ephesians. And it's like all of a sudden, Paul can't help himself but go back and again reaffirm the good news, these central truths of the gospel. So we're going to look at this interruption today in Paul's line of thought before we come back to his prayer next week in, in, uh, uh, in the second half of chapter 3. But, you know, for our purposes today, as it relates to this passage. You know, because chapter 3, as we're going to see in a minute, deals with all of these central gospel truths that Paul has already talked about, that we've already looked at in the previous weeks, I want to take a little bit of a different angle on this passage this morning. Uh, you see, apart from the theology that we find here in this passage, these basic gospel truths, what we also see here in this passage today is a glimpse into the heart and motivations of Paul the man. We see what drove Paul. We see what motivated Paul. We see Paul's passion. And you know, what excited me about this passage as I studied this past week is here we see the Apostle Paul's eye of the tiger. Paul had the eye of the tiger, but Paul's eye of the tiger was about his commitment and passion and drive for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul lived a gospel-driven life. And my prayer for us this morning is that we might be inspired by the example that we see in the Apostle Paul and that we too might be inspired to be people who live gospel-driven lives. Because what Paul understood and what I hope we all walk away with a greater appreciation for today, friends, is that it's all about Jesus Christ. I mean, everything in our lives, everything in creation is ultimately about Christ. And Paul got that. Our circumstances, our activities, our goals, it's all about Christ. That's the gospel-driven life that Paul embraced. It was the eye of the tiger, that passion for the gospel that Paul had that I pray that we too would have this morning. Here's what I want to do. I want to read for us from this section, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. And then after I read it, I want to come back and I want to make... I want to highlight three observations for you. Three hallmarks of the gospel-driven life that we can see here in the example of the Apostle Paul and in his writings here in Ephesians chapter 3. Three hallmarks of the gospel-driven life that I pray will inspire us to have that same passion, that same drive and commitment to the gospel that we see in the Apostle Paul. So why don't you take a look on the screen with me as we read Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. 
Paul starts out, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And now all of a sudden, Paul stops. He's about to pray for them, but he stops and he goes back. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. He's talking about those gospel truths he's already referred to. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms." which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Now, again, Paul deals with a number of profound theological truths in this passage as it relates to the gospel. But again, we've talked about many of these things in the previous weeks. What I want to focus on today are three hallmarks that we find here in the Apostle Paul and in his writings, three hallmarks of the gospel-driven life that we see here in Paul's example. And hallmark number one of the gospel-driven life is this. In Paul here, we see a gospel-driven outlook. A gospel-driven outlook. Paul opens up this passage of scripture by declaring himself the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, friends, you need to remember the context in which Ephesians was written, in which Paul is writing here. Paul, at this point in his life, has been in a Roman prison for upwards of five years. Okay, he's writing from a Roman prison where he's been a prisoner for five years. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. He was falsely accused by the Jews in Jerusalem of having brought a Gentile into the temple courts. So he was arrested by the Jews. He was put on trial by the Jews first at the Sanhedrin, then before the kings, King Festus, King Agrippa. They then sent him to Caesar in Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And yet Paul, over the course of five years of imprisonment, calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Not a prisoner of the Jews, not a prisoner of the Romans, not a prisoner of Caesar. Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You see, friends, what you need to understand is that Paul recognized that he was right where God wanted him to be. Paul knew, I'm not a prisoner of the Jews. I'm not a prisoner of the Romans. I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I'm exactly right where God wants me to be. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
And Paul knew that. He believed that. He had that outlook on his circumstances because he believed and trusted the promises of God given to us in the scriptures. What were some of these promises that Paul believed that gave him this gospel-driven outlook about his circumstances? Well, promises just like these here, Psalms. Psalm 139, 16, where King David says, all of our days are ordained by God before one of them comes to be. Promises like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Friends, do you know that God has plans and purposes for your life? Do you know that God has ordained all of your days before one of them came to be? That's what God tells us, friends. That's incredible. Psalm 2, 1 through 4, King David says that all who plot against God's plans do so in vain. God scoffs at them. The Jews thought they were going to thwart the gospel by putting Paul in prison. The Romans thought they were going to thwart the gospel by putting Paul on trial in Rome, sending him to Caesar. Paul scoffed at them because God scoffs at anyone who stands against his plans because God's plans cannot be thwarted. God is sovereign. God is in control. God sees all things. God declares all things. He ordains all things. And Paul recognized those truths and it gave him the confidence to say, I'm not a prisoner of the Jews. I'm not a prisoner of the Romans. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm right where God wants me to be. Paul believed those truths so deeply that he himself, in Acts 17, he himself declared, God is the author of history. God is the one who determines the times in which we live in the exact places in which we live. You're not here as an accident, friends. You're here because this is the time and place that God ordained for you to be. Paul then went on in the book of Romans to teach the Romans that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. Again, God has plans and purposes for everything that happens in our lives, friends. You need to understand something. Paul, writing this book, Paul wasn't in prison, friends. Paul was right in the heart of God's plan for his life. I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he says. Friends, here's what Paul understood. And this is so important, you need to grasp this this morning. This is what Paul understood. You are either going to be a prisoner of your circumstances or of the one who holds your circumstances. Do you get that? When you look at your life today, when you look at the circumstances in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, you're either going to be a prisoner of your circumstances or you're going to be a prisoner of the one who holds your circumstances, who has ordained all things in your life. And it's vitally important, friends, that you understand that distinction because it's all about perspective. If you're a prisoner of your circumstances, your circumstances are going to own you. But if you're a prisoner to the one who holds your circumstances, friends, you're going to have hope. You're going to have hope in the midst of any trials, any tribulations, no matter what your circumstances might be, because you know the one who holds your circumstances. It's all about perspective. Nothing enters our lives, friends, that isn't first father-filtered. God ordains all things. He allows all things. He controls all things. Nothing happens in our lives that isn't first father filtered. And friends, when we understand this, we can learn to embrace our circumstances, even the hardest of our circumstances. And we can learn to even rejoice no matter our circumstances. 
because we can view them in light of God's eternal plan for our lives. See, God had a plan for Paul's imprisonment. You know, oftentimes in life, we don't always get to see God's plans fully unfold. You know, the reasons why God allows certain things to happen in our lives. Many times, sometimes God blesses us with that vision of of why. You know, sometimes we go through a tough time and down the road later, we understand why God was allowing that to happen. Paul was blessed with a perspective of why God had allowed him to be put in prison. If you look at the book of Philippians chapter 1, Verses 12 through 14, Paul tells us why God had had placed him in prison. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Friends, the palace guard was a group of 1,000 elite Roman soldiers who were commissioned to guard Caesar and the highest ruling authorities in Rome. They were also commissioned to guard Rome's prisoners. And Paul says that this group, this elite palace guard, a thousand soldiers have all heard the gospel of Jesus Christ over the course of my five years in prison. You know what they would do? They would rotate guards. They'd chain a guard to Paul for 12 hours, rotate another guard in, chain him up to Paul for 12 hours. They did that for five years. What do you think Paul was doing that whole time? He's sharing the gospel with these guys. And Paul says it's now become known throughout the whole palace guard that I'm in chains for Christ. Not only that, but most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. See, Paul's imprisonment was meant for the sake and the advancement of the gospel. That's why God had him in prison. Paul got to see that. He was blessed with that. But even if he hadn't seen that, Paul still knew and trusted the promises of God, that God has a plan and purpose in all things. You know, another reason God put Paul in prison. During this time of Paul's imprisonment, Paul wrote four of the greatest books of the New Testament. Ephesians, which we're studying right now. Philippians, Colossians, the book of Philemon. Friends, we have these great books, these truths from God because Paul was placed in prison as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. God had a plan for Paul's imprisonment. I'll tell you something, friends. God has a plan for your life too. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what your trials, God has a plan. And the first mark of the gospel-driven life is the unshakable confidence that God is in control. He has a plan and he is good. We can trust him. The second hallmark of the gospel-driven life that we see here is that Paul had a gospel-driven lifestyle, a gospel-driven lifestyle. You know, Paul's driving motivation in life, you know, Paul, he had that eye of the tiger. His driving motivation in life was the advancement of the gospel. In the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 21, Paul, again, writing from prison, Paul tells the Philippians, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, you know what? If I end up rotting here in this Roman prison, if I end up getting beheaded here in this Roman prison, you know what? That is gain because I go to the Lord. I go to eternal glory in the presence of my Savior. To die is gain. But Paul says, you know what? If I go on living in the body, for me to live is to live for Christ. There's nothing greater than to live for Christ. That was Paul's driving motivation in life. He had a gospel-driven lifestyle. And here in Ephesians chapter 3, we find that Paul saw his calling and his empowerment as gifts of God's grace. 
Look at verse 7 and 8. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Paul understood his, his position in, in the Lord, his salvation, his calling. These things weren't of his own efforts. They were gifts of grace from the Lord. Paul says, I am less than the least of all God's people. But this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Friends, Paul recognized that everything about who he was, his salvation, his calling, all of this were gifts from the Lord. And you know something? We too, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, friends, we too share in this great calling and empowerment by God's grace. We share in this calling that Paul had by grace. Ephesians 2, 13 and 19. Paul tells us, we've already studied this, Paul tells us that in Jesus Christ we've been reconciled to God. We've been restored into a right relationship with our creator God. And therefore we become members of God's household. Now friends, you know this, when you're a member of a a household, you have responsibilities to that household, right? Your mom and dad make you do chores as part of the household, right? Friends, we have responsibilities as part of God's household. And what are our responsibilities in the salvation that we've received through Christ. Well, God has told us. He's commissioned us to be his ambassadors to the world. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we represent Christ to the world. Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus says that his people, his disciples, his followers are to go into all the world to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. Friends, that's our calling. And we've been empowered by God's grace. Not only have we been called by God's grace, but we've empowered by God's grace to carry out that calling. How have you been empowered? Ephesians 1.19, we saw this back in early on in our series. Paul prays that the Ephesians' eyes would be open to recognize the incomparably great power that they have through Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promised his disciples when he sent them out, he said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can be my ambassadors throughout the whole world. That Greek word for power, if you remember, the Greek word is dunamis. It's it's where we get our English word dynamite from. That's the kind of power we're talking about here. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about JJ from Good Times? Dynamite, right? That's what we're talking about. We have been empowered by God to carry out this gospel-driven lifestyle. You're not doing this on your own. You're doing it by the empowerment of Jesus Christ. So here's the question, friends. Here's the question. By the grace of God, we've been invited into this calling. We've been empowered to carry out the calling. Now, will we live for the sake of our calling? Is the advancement of the gospel the driving motivation of our lives? Like Paul, are you living a gospel-driven lifestyle? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on here, Jason. All right. This, this guy, Paul, he's an apostle for Pete's sake. All right? This, this stuff can't apply to me. All right? I mean, come on, Jason. I, I'm just a mom. All right? I'm just a, I'm just a teacher. I'm just, I'm just a machinist. I'm just a dentist. Yeah, I mean, Jason, this, can't, this stuff can't apply to me. Friends, that might be your occupation. But occupation isn't motivation. You need to understand that. Occupation isn't motivation. At least it shouldn't be for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Our motivation 
should be the advancement of the gospel, no matter what our daily activities consist of. That's the gospel-driven lifestyle. Three weeks ago, our nation was shocked and, and mourned over the tragic deaths of two New York City police officers. Our country's been in the midst of this racial turmoil and violence now for months, and sadly, just a couple weeks ago, these two New York City police officers were slain, gunned down in their car. One of these two officers, his name was Officer Rafael Ramos. Officer Ramos was a committed evangelical Christian. And in the past week, testimonies of Officer Ramos' life have been coming out from his friends and his colleagues, and all of them have been declaring that Officer Ramos viewed his work as a police officer not just as being a cop, but he viewed it as a ministry, as a ministry of carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ to the streets of New York, bringing the hope of the gospel to the streets of New York. That's what Officer Ramos wanted to do with his life. He was a cop by occupation, but that wasn't his motivation. In fact, Officer Ramos, only a few hours after he was gunned down, he was due to go to a graduation ceremony. He had just finished a volunteer chaplaincy program. His desire for the past year had been to serve as a crisis care chaplain, to be sent to crime scenes, to be sent to accident scenes, to care for victims and their families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, this guy wasn't just a hero for being a cop. He was a hero of the gospel because he lived a gospel driven lifestyle. You know, do you find your job to be mundane? Do you find your daily activities to be boring, your daily routine to be a little bit depressing? Friends, if that's the case, you're missing the whole point. For the Christian, life is about more than just punching a time clock. It's about more than just a job. And you need to understand and embrace your true identity and mission in life. What you really are, friends, you are a secret agent winning assets for the king of the universe. You're an undercover operative, a foot soldier in the cosmic battle for the eternal destinies of people's souls. That's who you really are. That's your mission. That's why we exist here as a church, friends. The mission statement of this church is to create healthy, multiplying disciples who will work together to reach the world for Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church. Friends, we're not here to entertain you today. This isn't a social club. This is God's outpost in enemy-controlled territory. This is where God's agents are trained and equipped and sent out. Make no mistake about it, friends. If you're here for any other reason, you are sorely missing the whole point. Hold on a second, Jason. I, I don't know if I'm cut out for all this stuff. I mean, this gospel-driven life stuff, this, this is a little bit too radical for me, if you ask me. Friends, let me tell you something. If the apostle Paul can do it, you can do it. Okay? What does Paul say about himself back in verse 8? What does Paul call himself? He says, I am less than the least of all God's people. Friends, if less than the least of all God's people can do it, why can't you do it? And if you think you're lesser than the Apostle Paul, what, what do you think you are? You think you're better than Paul? You think you're better than Paul at being less than the least of these? Right? 
Friends, if Paul was less than the least of all God's people and he was empowered and called to a gospel-driven lifestyle, why can't we? Why can't we? Where do you start? Look, let me just give you two simple suggestions. Number one, make yourself available. Man, when God finds a person who just simply says, Lord, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what, but God, I am willing to let you use me. Man, God can take a heart that says that, that has that obedient, faithful response to God, and God can use that person to do miracles. I mean, we could be here for hours this morning telling stories of people here in our own church that God is using just because they made themselves available. I mean, not anybody special. We're talking about a whole bunch of less than the least of these kind of people right here in our own church. I mean, I think of, think of my friend Jack Lumberg, who's serving down at the Union Gospel Mission every week, working with the homeless people, sharing the hope of the gospel with them. Why? Because he just simply said a couple years ago, Lord, I want you to use me, and I don't know where, I don't know where, when or how, but I'm willing, and God opened the door, and now he's serving the Lord. I think of people like my friend Jeanette Jones there in the back, working with MEC Prison Ministry, going into the prisons, working with people, sharing the hope of the gospel with them, right? Jeanette's nobody special. She is special, but she's just another less than the least of these type of people. But she was somebody who said, God, I'm here, use me. And God's using her. Man, I think, I think of people like my buddy Mike Rowe. I don't know if he's here. Mike Rowe, one of our uh, friends, a coach in our local community. Mike Rowe came to faith in the gospel a few years back. He's been discipled. Now Mike is working to disciple other coaches here in our community. He's nobody special. He's just an ordinary dude who said, God, I'm willing to be used if you'll use me. Make yourself available. Second, uh, second uh, suggestion. My buddy Ron Backus, he's always challenging me with this one. He asks a question, great question. He says, who's your one? Who's your one? And what he means by that is he, he says, what if we chose one person in our life, one person in our sphere of influence that we committed to praying for, that we committed to praying for, asking that God would open doors for us to share the gospel with him. We committed to praying that God would bring other people into their lives who would influence them with the gospel. We begin praying that God would give us a heart and a passion to share the gospel with them. Who's your one? Friends, can you imagine if 500 of us from Lakes Free this morning all decided to commit to praying for one person, for their salvation, for them to come to know Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel? Can you imagine what would happen? I guarantee you that this time next year, we would have countless stories of transformation to share with one another if all of us made that commitment to praying for one person, to reaching out to one person with the hope of the gospel. Who's your one? Thirdly, today in Ephesians chapter three, we see the third hallmark of the gospel-driven lifestyle, and that is Paul had embraced a gospel-driven goal, a gospel-driven goal. The third hallmark of the gospel-driven life is the pursuit of the ultimate gospel-driven goal, and that is simply this, bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Here in our passage today, we see Paul highlighting the ultimate purpose and goal of the church. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who are these rulers and authorities Paul talks about here? Friends, Paul's talking about angels. 
angels, both good and bad angels. Paul says that the angels are watching us. The angels are watching God's work amongst the church. He's wa- they're watching God's grace transform lives. They're watching God's grace break down barriers. They're watching God's grace change lives. And the angels are in awe at the wisdom of God when they see his work in the church. Friends, everything that God has ever done has been for the purpose of bringing himself glory. Colossians 1.16, Paul says that all things have been created by him and for him. Everything God has ever done has been about bringing himself glory. And here Paul reveals that God's purpose for the church, the ultimate goal of the church is to display God's wisdom for the sake of his glory to angelic beings. Friends, isn't that incredible? I mean, think about that. Not only do we as the church have the privilege of testifying to God's greatness here in this world, but Paul tells us that even the angelic beings are watching us. And when they see the church experiencing and living the fruits of the gospel, they see God's wisdom and his glory is magnified in the heavenly realms. Wow. You see, friends, our individual salvation, this church, the global church, these things are not the end of the gospel. These things are means to the end of the gospel. The end goal of the gospel, the ultimate goal of the gospel is that Jesus Christ might be glorified. And understand this, friends, one day all of creation is going to recognize Jesus for who he is. And one day all of creation is going to bow and give him glory. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I remember a few years ago watching the funeral of Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, the king of pop, one of the most famous music entertainers in history, had more number one hits than anybody, made more money than anybody. He was known as the king of pop. I'll never forget watching his funeral on CNN. The last words that were spoken at Michael Jackson's funeral were the final prayer given by an African-American pastor. And this pastor closed his prayer. He said, and now even the king of pop will bow his knee to the king of kings. Amen. You know something, friends, as you sit here in this room this morning, a hundred years from today, the only thing that will matter to any of us here is what did I do to bring glory to Jesus Christ? I want you to think about that. A hundred years from today, the only thing that's going to matter to any of us, what did I do to bring glory to Jesus Christ? As I close this morning, let me leave you with this encouragement. There is nothing greater than living for the Lord. And I pray that as we leave here this morning, 
this first Sunday of the new year, that our community would see hundreds of believers from this church that have that gospel-driven eye of the tiger. You know, when God finds somebody with a gospel-driven outlook, living a gospel-driven lifestyle with gospel-driven goals, watch out, world. That's when miracles begin to happen. And friends, why not you? Why not us as a church? Why not this new year? Let's be a church that's known for having the eye of the tiger. A church that's known for being wholly committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to making his name renowned, and to living to give him all the glory he's due, starting now and forevermore. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the inspiration that we see in the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Lord, for his commitment, his passion, his single-minded drive, his eye of the tiger for the pursuit of the gospel. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we too might have that same gospel-focused, gospel-driven eye of the tiger as we go out into the world this new year of 2015. God, give us a passion for the lost people in our world. Give us a passion for sharing the hope of the gospel with people in our lives. God, help us to think about who might be that one person in our life that we can commit to praying to, to loving, to caring for, to reaching out to with the hope of the gospel. Lord, use us this year. Use this church, God. Let this church be a place that sends out gospel-driven, eye-of-the-tiger Christians into the world to transform lives. Give us that heart, Lord. Give us that passion. You've already empowered us, Lord. Help us to faithfully pursue that now. Let us be people who live gospel-driven lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to leave you with a great benediction for the new year. A great benediction from the Apostle Paul, the book of Philippians. This is a great one for the new year. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on in this new year to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. I the tiger, friends. God bless you. With tear stains on her eyes From the places she's wandered And the